Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, it's a great privilege to be here with you this morning. As, as Mark was saying, that we've been coming to the church now for a few months, and we just finished with uh, well, the membership process. And um, the Lord's been opening doors with, with Pastor Mike and with Mark to begin to learn and get the last um, experience I need before I head into the chaplaincy. So um, I'm, very, I'm excited to be able to help in, as we look through this book together. Um, one thing that struck me as reading through Second Peter is the idea of how, how important this was to Peter's heart. Um, just this last year, my grandfather passed away. He was 90 years old, and um, we had the privilege of flying out and seeing him about two months before he passed away. We, my, he knew his 90th birthday was coming, and he, his health was beginning to fail. And so, as, a, as opposed to setting aside different amounts of money for us as his grandchildren for inheritance, he said, you know what would be great is if I could help you all come out and see me one last time for this, well he didn't say one last time, we didn't know that at that point, but come and celebrate my 90th birthday with me, and that would be like a great way to use this money as opposed to setting aside. So we helped Michelle and I uh, fly out, and um, I got to go down there and spend a, a couple days with him, and um, one of the, he was getting tired, so each of us would have maybe an hour or two hours a day that we could go in and see him, and so... Um, while I was there, I got to stay in his room. He had been his condition was worsening to the to the, to the extent that instead of staying in the in his own apartment, he was now down in a intensive care facility. So staying in his apartment overnight, I got to look at his walls and see these are the last few things in his room that he were most important to him. He had started giving away everything else, but he had some pictures. Uh, he, he loved photography, so he had some great pictures he had done in his past. He had. Um, he served in World War II, so he had some medals and things like that around the walls. And it really struck me what a, what a well-lived life he had. He was a believer in Christ. and uh, So I was moved in his, in his room just seeing the accomplishments that he had made. And then the next day, my parents said, hey, there's about an hour window that you can go and help him this morning and get ready before we have this big special lunch. So I went down to see him. And he, being a military man, he liked to have his hair cut short. And his hair was getting a little long over his ears, and he had asked, would you mind if you just give me a, a haircut before we go this morning? And uh, the Lord just impressed upon me. It was just so uh, moving to be there and just in this little way be able to serve him, just in that little way before, so he felt good before we went. And we had the dinner, and it was just intimate family. There was just my uh, closest family. There was my, my, my family, my mother, and then uh, his son and his family. And uh, my mom said, you know, it's... People normally wait till funerals before they say something nice. But since we're here now together and this, this great dinner and this, we're, we're thinking about all the way what you mean to us. Can we go around the table and maybe just share? And uh, man, it was moving. I, I, as soon as people started sharing, I was just crying the whole time. I said, "Pop, I apologize. I'm not sure why this is why this is hitting me so powerfully." But I shared with him what he meant to me and what I learned. And um, he had some words for me of encouragement. And I, and I think of how important that weekend was for me. I think that this book, in the same way, to this church, here's this leader who had written to them before, who was so instrumental in, their, in the young life of their church and their faith, and here he is in the letter where he knows his end is coming soon, and so he's passing on to them what he feels like is most important as they grow. And he knows that when he's gone, that this will be the last letter that they got from him, and that they're going to go back to this again and again. So um, I think it's just a, um, a good place to, to have a 
to be, but as we look at his book, realizing all that it meant to him and to the readers. Um, let me show you. So, Second Peter, again, with that in mind, is his real encouragement to them. We're going to see as we go through it in greater and greater depth, his encouraging them to go on to greater and greater maturity and guard against false teaching. So this morning we're going to go with an introduction to the book and then into the first two verses. The author of the book, he announces himself in the first verse. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And um, there's been very little contest to this. Conservative um, people who study the book have all agreed that there's no doubt about this, that Peter's written it. Um, It says here that um, early Greek papyrus manuscripts of the New Testament show was definitely accepted by the church's canonical. They, have, they didn't have any doubt that it was written by someone pretending to be Peter. They all knew it was his. Uh, no, no compelling reason to think it was anyone else but Peter who wrote this. Um, as we had discussed, the background of this is that Peter is, knows that Christ has told him the end of his life is approaching. Um, and he is writing this again with the heart of a father to um, young children to protect them from what is coming. When he, when he, he knows he's gone, you know, he knows he won't be able to, to tell them much more, so this is really his heart. As far as the destination goes, he doesn't specifically, in the very first verse he says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of God, our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Um, we know in this that he's writing to those he's written to before, we just don't know for sure that it's the same people in First Peter. That's a general consensus is that he's writing to the people from First Peter, uh, the churches from First Peter. But there could have been a letter that he wrote to another church, and this is um, that he was then following up. So it could have been those. It could have been another. But he knew that these churches would be receiving this letter as well. So, as far as the date, two references give us some clues to the date. Um, if we look at Second Peter, let's look at verses thirteen through fifteen. In verses 13, verse 13, he says, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So we know death is coming soon, and to the traditional date is AD 67 or 68. So we know it's getting close to that time. Paul also mentions that he's um, read some of Paul's letters. At the very end of the chapter, I think we need to turn to chapter 3. He mentions um, reading Paul's letters in verse, let's say about 15, chapter 3, verse 15. He says, Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave you. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking of, of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. So we know that he's read some of Paul's letters at this point. Um, so that puts it sometime after AD 60. And since 1 Peter is normally dated around AD 64, 2 Peter was most likely penned between then and 67 and 68 in those, few, in those years is when we think that he was written. Sometime after 1 Peter and before his passing away. Uh, the text does not give a specific place from where he writes it from, but he's traditionally uh, held to be executed in Rome crucified upside down. So we believe that, that because the Jesus told him he's going to be dying soon, this is most likely where it was written from was Rome. As far as the context and themes, um, 
I'm sure most of you are familiar with what Mark and David have been going through in the first Peter. And we can see some of the differences here in the two books as his heart is preparing them for his departure. In first Peter, we considered the external opposition they were facing, the persecution. That's oh, right, you guys have blanks in your papers too. Uh-huh. I'll slow down. Sorry, I forgot that you, don't, I forgot that you have blanks. Um, in the first Peter, we saw the external opposition that he was trying to encourage them to um, preserve under, through. And in Second Peter, we're going to be looking forward in the coming, coming weeks to the internal opposition that he's concerned about in the church and in their own hearts. Uh, the first Peter, it was hostility. In, in this one, we'll see uh, talk more about heresy and the twisting of the truth that he's given them, he's concerned about. Somewhat similar in the next one, endurance through what they're facing. And in Second Peter, steadfastness in the faith, not swerving from the truth. That for, that, that, the first Peter one, really, endurance and waiting stuff, those are really in like trials or external kind of things coming at you, right? It's really about steadying on in the faith, mm. um, even regardless of that opposition that's going to come up with false teachers, right? Yes. So. Uh, we also have suffering in First Peter, whereas in Second, considering error and the teaching that we're going to be hearing from false false teachers. First Peter, hope in the Lord's return. Second, confidence in it. First Peter, holiness. And second, maturity and the importance of growing in their Christian faith. First Peter, the idea that all pain has a purpose, that this is God still in control. And, and second, more concerned with internal poison in the pew coming from false teachers, and I think ultimately you'll see too in their own hearts as well. So here's kind of a general, very basic outline of the book, the, large, the, the main headings. Understanding our faith, I think Mark will kick that off next week. Getting back to the basics. Then understanding our scriptures, understanding our av- adversaries, and understanding our promise. A lot of good stuff to look forward to. Alright, so let's take a look at the text. Starting in verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So first his name, Simon Peter. I think it's interesting that he chose to use both of his names here. Simon Peter, Simon, which was the name given to him by his mother. And Peter, the name which was given to him by Christ. And we'll see that the verse next. I should have, I myself, I should have the verse here that's in the next slide. Um, this may be an indication of the mixed audience that he was, his, his desire to reach both, that he's speaking to Hebrews and Greeks, and that both of those names were included. Here is where he receives his name. I think this is, this is telling for even for, for the rest of the book, setting the stage. In Matthew chapter 16, it says, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, Why, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gate of Hades will not overpower it. Even... Uh, one of the continuing themes throughout the book is how important their growing maturity and knowledge is going to be. Um, 
preserving what they've heard, learned and, and making it a part of their lives. And even here we see that at the very beginning where, where, where Christ is getting to give him a vision for where, what he has for him in the future, it comes about by his knowledge and understanding, his maturity is, is the launching pad for it, all right? Here he begins to understand that God opens his eyes to who Christ is and that that's the launch pad for it. That's, that's, when he understands that and, and internalizes it, that's when Christ can then set the vision before him of what he has for him. His eyes can open up to all that God has for him. Do you have anything else you want to add about his name? Or? I, think it's, I think it's really important that um, as we begin, as we began First Peter, um, Dave really kicked off that whole book by um, really encourage you to go back and listen to it in Second Peter, which started with really Peter the man. Second week was really about Peter the man that God used. Maybe Dave, could you just frame up like mm-hmm. what that looked like? Maybe. Yeah. And, well. Draws me to the connection to our is calls himself a bond service. I think much steps of that take back to really that journey with Christ. And ultimately, they, um, that is the fullness of humility, not reflect. Mm-hmm. As far as the pride, the arrogance, the confidence, it never be, Lord, that, you know, I would go to death for you and Forget you behind yeah, me. Yeah, you know, <laughs> give me that sword, um, I will take on the world. So that's significant because it is, reflects his heart. But also, I think as the teacher, now that when he said, upon you I will build the church, mm-hmm. all this apostle, is the authentic. Mm-hmm. In other words, this highest calling of he is. This. So he is not in the fullness of humility. And in the, that of the teacher articulating, I believe, that true transformation. Life. And the failure that would do that is bond servant. Um, probably the most piercing thing in, in, you know, at a later point, even in other, probably one of the most piercing things that I, because it was said purely in confidence, fullness of dependence. And so it, on that theme, writing, in, you know, holiness in, for now goes to work. Thank you. So to build on that. Um, we see here too the, as David said, that both sides, the apostle and the bondservant. Um, so first, let's look at the apostle side of it. Um, this is the, the 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 ultimate as far as his authority before he passes away as the, the founder, one of the heads of the church. Um, the apostle, the name apostle, emphasizes the idea of authority. And also of, also of responsibility that this person, just like we see with Pastor Mike, um, when, when he speaks, we, we understand that the Holy Spirit is speaking through him and you take great, great weight and authority to what he gives. Or to an elder brother who knows you. And I know in my life when I've had some, an elder of the church come over and talk to me about a good or a bad, it just holds tremendous weight. You know, that, that advice holds more than almost anyone else because uh, you realize where their heart is and that they love you and you see them as they are spiritually mature. So in that sense, he has this this high level of authority. But also, as David said, um, he's also seeing himself as this servant, the most, as the most humble. Um, he, he's not alone in this. Paul and James, and there were other examples as well, have named themselves this bond servant. I thought it might be good, Just I'm sure some of you have heard this already, but the idea of going over again, what, what that, that idea of a bond servant is. Um, it was mentioned early in Exodus, for people who were getting into debt, one, one, one of the ways this could occur is that if you were became uh, indebted to somebody and you know you, there's, you, had, you ran out of weight, maybe your farm, 
your um, source of income dried up and you couldn't pay it back, you could become that person's. You would become that person's bond servant, and then you would have seven years basically of service to them. And during that time, um, you would be working, learning a trade, and um, paying off that debt. And at, at the end of seven years, the slate was wiped clean, and you were free, free to leave. But at that point, many people would realize, look, I know what kind of man I am. I know what I struggle with, or maybe the situation hasn't changed on the outside. And if I go back to that, I'll be back in the same situation again or worse. So at that point, the person could then say, you know, they could approach that master and say, this past seven years have been great. Can I become your bond servant um, in a permanent status? Um, so you become a property of his creditor. There we go. Let's go to the next one here. So if he approached his master and said, I would just like to continue, he would then be taken to the tabernacle. And there the priest would lead him to a doorpost and they would bore a hole in his, uh, in his ear with an anvil. And so from that point on, um, he would be his slave for the rest of his life. Um, and then I think it was awesome, this um, quote from Barnhouse, Dr. Barnhouse, this is another influence from my grandfather, he, some of you may have heard of this if you're from the area, but in Philadelphia, there's a famous church called 10th Presbyterian Church in the city, right in the heart of Philadelphia. And um, they've had some great pastors there throughout the past, some names you probably heard. But when my grandfather lived there, he was an elder. And at that point, Dr. James, uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse was the minister. So he had written a book on Romans and some other that related to this. And so you'll all see some quotes from him. But... Um, Wherever he walked, this ear, his earlobe would kind of proclaim to everyone that saw the nature of his master. You know, it was not just not all about him; it was also about who we worked for. The idea that if you work for seven years for one of our great company, and you said, "Look, I want to work for you forever. This has been awesome," and you got some kind of tattoo of them, people would see that and realize, "Man, he must have an awesome place of work that he would just dedicate himself to that." Um, then from him here, I love, I love my master. I will not go out for free, for he's my redeemer. He paid the price for me. There's this, this um, idea of, of the joy of becoming a servant. Uh, building further on this, going even deeper. And the idea that service to Christ is freedom. In John 10.10, 10, Christ says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And in Galatians 5.1, It is for, cre- for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Uh, this is the quote that I think sums this up for us. It was because it was our first parent in Adam, Adam wanted freedom from God that he declared independence of the human race and lost all our freedoms. Ever since that time, men have been enslaved by a thousand masters and chiefly by fears and dreads of their own hearts. Slavery to self is a bondage that includes all other slaveries, and there is no freedom apart from the work of God who wrought so effectively in Christ to set things to set men free. I thought that was a beautiful quote. Just the whole idea that becoming a bondservant to Christ, when you remember, I, I, we've had a, I had a, I think it was a speaker from uh, China who, would, who came and spoke, and his whole idea was when he first came in, he introduced himself as a slave. I'm a, I'm a slave to Christ. And just the idea that in America we've had the, the um, it brings up the connotations of some of the sins of our past and the kind of the, the, the wicked way that slaves were treated here. And that this, this idea for, for slavery to Christ is, is so um, totally opposite in the sense that it's all about serving a wonderful master that brings freedom in every way. Uh, Romans 6, Paul talks about this. 
But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Arthur wrote this great called Slave. Mm. I highly recommend it. Really, Bill Paulson. But when we think about like slaves, like what what might be some implication model being set for? I think it's significant to mind the point of view that it wasn't Peter who named himself the Rock. It was Christ who named him Petros. Petros is is the Greek. It signifies more of a foundation, a large rock. Ephesus is just rock. But I think Peter would have called himself much quicker as a servant than he would have called himself the rock because that was his mindset. Well, it's fascinating to me, too, that, that this is the third and fourth word, you know, in the book, right? And it's like that which is like front and center in my mind is the mm-hmm. and framework of perspective, I think, that... that I don't, I don't always think model for us to... You know, there's been a lot of changes at my work. And, you know, like when you start out, I could say Connie Jansen, a bond servant of Delmar Hospital. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I read my signatures on her email, yeah, right? And, and you can get yourself so wrapped up in that identity kind mm-hmm. of thing mm-hmm. that really you know, some of the changes, we've just been going through a glitch and everyone's in an uproar about it, but... You know, I really had to wrestle with, I am a, I'm not a slave to Delmore. I need to do my job the best I can to glorify God, mm. and, you know, and that's my identity. I am a child of the Father, and, um, and so, therefore, I don't have to be in this uproar in my soul because of mm. changes going on at my work. I just still need to do, comply, certainly, mm-hmm. but do, but not to the point where, I mean, there's some things that you could make some fudgy, you know, some decisions on that are a little bit not, you know, nothing horrible, but just in productivity and all of this, how you measure all the standards and stuff. But anyway, I am a child of the Father. I'm a bond servant of Jesus Christ, not of the place that I work. So my, that's not my identity. So that's how I sort of. Yeah. I, I, and we could put a lot of things in there. You know, our homes, our families, our, <laughs> you name yeah. it. <laughs> I think my wife's been feeling some of those same pressures. She's a manager over the guys there, and and uh, there comes a certain point in time where you where you feel like that. If your mind begins to shift, you begin to feel like you you really need to volunteer for everything and do take all these responsibilities because of your desire for like in the military, it's like sevens for reviews, right? If you get all, where there comes a point in time where you realize, well, I'm also what she's been wrestling with. I'm also a mother, and I need this, and I can say, you know. Honoring God might mean that I don't get all sevens on every category, and but still give my best because I'm called to give my best. And cross That's right. Mm-hmm. Help but uh, tie it out to how Peter closed in five of First Peter with God resists the proud and remember to read and know about me. It is the opposite of being culture. It's not a action and subjection. Is talk about. Our workplaces and things, pride is really important. So, tie those two together there is that how he tied that out at the end there. He's got knowledge mm-hmm. of that. Satan will continue to have us, doesn't want us to be a problem, I believe. Yeah, always trying to uh, bring things up that will, will distract you and think, well, maybe I, I want this. It's okay if I keep this and then.
not obey Christ in everything or not give everything. Begin thinking that you're in charge again, that you can delineate what you give to Christ and what you keep to yourself. And it's also important to notice that he, that he, that he as, you, as you guys have been pointing out, that he, he mentions bond servant first, right? First servant, then apostle. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, received is from the unusual verb lanchano. <laughs> afraid my, I haven't studied Greek yet, so I'm probably giving you a Spanish sound. <laughs> but lanchano. Okay, okay. <laughs> Which means <laughs> to obtain by lot implying God's sovereign choice rather than anything that they may have done to deserve such a gift. So again, going is what you're saying against his earlier nature, you know. You figure like he was a go-getter and probably on some issues struggle with pride and things like that. And so here, again, he's just pointing out the fact that right initially that those are, they've received the faith, not they had that he's earned it. Of the same kind as ours, the words of the same kind or as precious, Translate from the word isotimon, from isos, equal in time, honor, value. It was used for foreigners who had been granted the privileges of citizenship and were equal those of the native born. And so we'll see here, this is, I think this is great. Right? This, is, this is again him relating to them and saying, you, you, probably, you, you hold me in this high esteem and the other disciples and other apostles. But he's here at the beginning saying, again, remember, we're on, we're on the same plane. We didn't, we didn't earn this. He foreshadows his purpose by stressing that the faith of the apostles is no different than theirs. The same Holy Spirit empowers them. They're not any higher or greater in, in that sense. They're still sinners saved by grace. And understanding, too, that he's also preparing them because at this time, as I'm sure we'll get into deeper as we go along through the book, there are these pre-Gnostic doctrines going around that we're going to be spreading throughout the time, and we see it even today in books like the Da Vinci Code and things that still intrigue us, but just this idea that there was this kind of inner circle of knowledge that only a few held, and as you raised up into the church, and got, then, you, then you'd be, and study deeper, then you could find these great secrets that they were only aware to them. And so this was kind of combating that, saying, no, our faith is the same as yours, the same Holy Spirit is in powers you, Christ desires to be as close to you as he is to us. To those who receive a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And of course, this, we can spend a lot of time on this. I thought this would be one good quote from in Romans 3, talking about God's righteousness. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, who God displayed publicly as a propitiation, in His blood through faith. This was to de- demonstrate His righteousness, because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed, for the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just, be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This idea that um, one of the reasons of, of uh, God's work was to, not only for our salvation, but also just to display His own righteousness the idea that he could be a God um, who punishes sin at the same time forgives sin. How is that possible? And before Christ came, I'm sure they said that the, the angels were wondering how it could be and were amazed at what was happening. And this was God revealing that even people were wondering, how can this be? God proved himself once again righteous that everything's in control. I know exactly what I'm doing. Also here, let's, let's look notice two. 
that um, he mentions by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's important we notice that because here he says here that God and Savior um, indicates one person, not two. That here is one, one of the commentators mentioned this is one of the one of the great verses in the scriptures that points out this idea of the unity of the Godhead and that Christ and was God and they were one. They didn't see those two. Um, there's some others we could look at as well in Matthew 16.16. 16. This is the one we already quoted as well. This is where um, Simon says that you are the Son of God. You are Christ, the Son of the living God. So here's another spot where where this is where we talked about already, where Peter understands, he begins to understand Christ is God and how that uh, that opened up his whole, uh, his mind and his possibilities for him. Then, of course, the the famous beginning of the book of John. In John 1.1, we are speaking about the Word, speaking about Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with Him in the beginning. And then it goes on to talk about all the ways that He was a, a part of creation, that Jesus was God and is God. And lastly, in the book of Titus, someone read Titus for us? Anyone have it? Titus chapter 2. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There again, God and Savior, saying they're one and the same. Last part of this is the first part of verse 2. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you. We see that this corresponds directly to the beginning of uh, his last letter to them. The same heartfelt wish for them. I think it's important too. It's, it's, this is kind of a. Mark will go into this in greater depth next week, but this is kind of uh, two sides of the coin here, right? As we look at this verse uh, in Second Peter, let's look at verse 2, where it says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So this is. It's kind of. It's pointing to that. It, it's pointing to that, but still we can um, take from this just um, his. Heartfelt desire for this, for his love for his readers, his readers, and it foreshadows again next week and then throughout the rest of the book, just that this grace and peace that he's talking about is going to come from not from their knowledge, from their increasing maturity. Yeah. So for our our bridge to today, this is somewhere we, where we can land and think about for a while. And the next two questions: Do we understand that we are called as Brother Mark shared that we are called to be bond service of Christ? I think that there are maybe two sides of this coin that um, that most of us are either being pushed one way or the other in our lives that might keep us from this understanding and and from um, the freedom that we were talking about before. So the first might first side might be sins that are entrapping us and keeping us from really serving Christ with that kind of passion we desire. And Hebrews chapter twelve says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I think that this is I know this is in my in my own life that um, when there's a sin that I'm struggling with or wrestling with God about, that this whole idea come to a point of repentance where the Lord wakes you up and, and you come to church and you repent. And, and I just, I mean, me personally, it strikes me in certain ways, but I just realized how, wow, I haven't been praying for that person for like a week. Someone, the Lord, now that I've repented, the Lord brings again to mind someone who I love or to call that person or to serve my wife. It's almost like you, when, when you are um, in following Christ, and we'll see even later in Second Peter where he says this is like the dog returning to its vomit or the, the, the foolish pig, the pig who wallows in his sin, that when you become a Christian and there's some sin that you turn to, and it could even be a, a good thing, right? It could even be something... Um, pastime you enjoy, there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but you begin to set precedence on that over what you should be doing, you know what God wants you to be doing. Out in Pennsylvania, it was like hunting, all the guys loved it, and that's a good thing, right? But when they began to say, like, I can't go to this, or I can't go to that, or friction with their wife because of this thing, and, and for me, it's other things. That wasn't it, outdoors, my, my, my pursuits are indoors, <laughs> mostly. <laughs> but when I had these struggles, it's almost like your, your life turns black and white for a while, you don't even realize it. And then you repent, and the Lord begins to fill you with the love, and you realize it was gone while you were wrestling with this. You were not serving Christ and even living with all the freedoms that He died for you to have. And all of a sudden, I have the desires to serve my wife again, and, and do the and I was like, oh man, I'm just a fool. I was thinking, my eyes were on this thing, or on this wrestling, and um, I, I did not have the freedom of, of just serving Christ as in that bond servant. The other side of that would be the, for those of us uh, who've been raised in the church, not just not just that, but this seems to be maybe a struggle a little more for those who have maybe legalism is what the problem is for us. Galatians 2, 20-21 I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is the idea of what we should be like and what we should be feeling like. But I think that... Now, stop me if this was Pastor... Remind me if this was Pastor Mike gave this example. I was asking Michelle and she couldn't remember. Did Pastor Mike give this example in the last month or so about the, the dancing? Okay. So there's this girl who loves to dance. And then raise your hand if you if said it. Then I'll stop. If said it. <laughs> I was like, was this Pastor Mike? I heard us on the radio. I couldn't remember. But there's this girl who loves to dance... And so she's excited, and her mom begins sending her to, to classes, and she begins pursuing it. But there becomes a point where she's so consumed with doing better, and she's practicing long hours, and eventually she begins to actually dislike and begin stressed out by what she's doing until her teacher pulls her aside one day and says, when she's considering quitting the whole thing, and says, don't forget that we, we don't do this for the practice and the stretching. We do this because we love dancing, Right? And the idea that this is what our Christian faith should be like, it should be because we love Christ and what He's done for us, and that our, our lives should flow, that should flow out of us. And as people who have been raised in the church, it's easy to get your eyes off of what the joy and focus of your life is, and put it in, am I volunteering for five things here at church? Did I read my Bible this morning? Are my children obeying me? Is my wife this way? How do people see me? It becomes all the things that should be flowing out of a Christian life not become the focus. And when they become the focus, um, well, we'll see. I think this is the, the whole 
our eyes can turn again from Christ to these things, and, and uh, we really aren't showing like that hole in the ear. We're not showing the beauty of our Master. So this is a, one paragraph I'd like to read to you. I think it starts here. I think this will hope, hopefully clarify even more. There are so many Christians who are narrow and cantankerous because they have been giving up things instead of getting Christ. They have gone at the things from the wrong end. Look out among people you know as Christians and you will discover two sorts. One rub, rubs you the wrong way. The other fills you with admiration. One of them boasts that he doesn't do this and doesn't do that until you think that failing to do certain things is the whole of his religion. Those with whom he talks want to go out and do the very things he does not do as a sort of reaction against that, that in his life which is offensive. The other Christian strikes you as being a holy person. You do not expect to see him do certain things because you rather feel that he is possessed by higher motives. He's been in the presence of the Lord and is so filled with that presence that he draws you to Christ. You are not this type of Christian. If you are not this type of Christian, you are not what God wants. You may bleat from morning to evening that you don't get drunk and you don't go for carnal pleasures, but no one's going to listen to you. You've pumped a lot of things out of your life, but you have nothing else in that place, and even nature abhors a vacuum. Just the whole idea that, um, as we said in the illustration before with the ear, that really um, what should be flowing from you and the, be the impetus for everything you're doing is that eye set on Christ and His love and what He's done for you. Um, Go ahead. Please. Just, um, you know, I think about like um, one, of the, one of the best quotes that I have found in the last couple months with the glory of God is man full about that. You know, I think about chariots of fire, right? Like, remember him running on the beach? Do you, ever, you remember that theme song? And, like him, and, he, and he was running like this, and then what did he do after a little bit? Did he laugh? He went back, yeah. and he ran with all of his gospel, yeah, yeah. right? And when he told people, he said, like, I don't, I don't you know, do this, you know, for <laughs> myself. I've been, I've been created by God to be fast. And I run for the pleasure of the king, you know, and, and like, that's a different motive. You know, that's a completely different perspective in our life, you know, to, it, it's not about the things I'm not supposed to be doing. It's about, like, like, like wanting Christ more than anything else, pleasing him and, and his glory in my life. And those just get so, we get those so backwards, I think, sometimes, you know, and like, you know, I want to run for the glory of God. You know, I want to, I, I want, I don't want legalism or, you know, um, as you said, in, you know, entrapping me. You know, I want to be able to be worthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that usually is done in decisions in my life. So as I think about that, that's just like a metaphor for me on that beach. That that that, that crystallizes it mm-hmm. for me personally. It really cements First Peter to Second Peter when he talks about grace and peace. He's not talking about head down, counting your steps. He's talking about head up, looking at the prize that's before you, and going for the prize with a smile on your face, not counting steps. Mm-hmm. So, when we're looking down in the context of walking or running, bobulated because context. Context is about, you know, those are right here. It's the run with endurance, fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's a, such a powerful. First Peter talks about the externals, and Second Peter talks about the internals. But at the same time, you got your head up all the time. Mm-hmm. Maybe a second idea that I that I was thinking as through reading through these couple of verses, just as when Peter is talking to them, but the same faith as ours. Do we realize that Christ desires 
the same intimacy with us that he had with the disciples. Um, this is, I mean, one of my favorites of all time in Matthew 11, chapter in verses 20 through 30, where Jesus says, "Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." Just that whole idea of the. Of, just beautiful, the idea of freedom and, and slavery at the same point, of being that bondservant to Christ and putting on the yoke with two sides, right? It's you and Christ saying, put on my yoke, and then he's there shouldering with you your burdens and coming alive in that sense, too. I think of some of the... Of the this is late, It feels late for me. It's God's perfect timing, but it feels late for me that I'm... We've had this cycle of life where Michelle has been working and serving and not complaining while I've been going to seminary and things. And now here I am approaching 40, hopefully to get back into the workforce. So as a man, I feel those kind of desires of, I can't wait till that point in time. But just like as we come to the church here and the Lord's opened the doors here, there's a certain point where you feel, um, like you said, where this is what the Lord created you for. And whatever that is, um, from from, your, from at home as a mother in the workplace, brother, all different ways. But um, and the few opportunities the, the Lord's given me even here, just um, one of the things is I'm helping Pastor Mike with some sermons. He's he's writing them all, but he's asking us for ideas and research and help, just storming, brainstorming. And so I found some cool quotes and sent it and sent it to him. And this is he replied back and said, "Oh, that's awesome! It's got me thinking about this or that." And it was really I got like a little choked up just reading that, just because it felt like. This is your, your part of what the Lord's doing, and like this is what the Lord's made you for. Even this little, you know what I mean. And so that's kind of the same thing here. Was, and that's Christ with me being patient. Is it forty and just and, and getting and obeying and doing what He wants in that, that sense? But the, the Lord, wherever you're at and whatever you're struggling with, that Christ desires that to be the one beside you, holding that yoke with with, with you and helping you through it, and letting you see what the purpose of it is, and something we may, we might miss if we're not looking for it. You guys have anything to add to that? That's it. Thank you, know, you very one much. Of the things I might just do the time since we have some. Yes. Um, maybe I would recommend that we just take the time to read through for John. Oh, yeah, Second Peter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, think we have, I think we have about just enough time to do that. Um, Great. Would that be helpful? Because then we can put every, kind of everything in context that you've said and mm. see the whole picture. Very good. Be good. Maybe we can pass it around and have people read. Sure. You just want to do maybe read five verses. Th- yeah, however you want to do it. Yeah, or maybe three people for each chapter, one for each. Sure, go three people to read it. Until sure, you want twenty-eight. Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to knowledge of Him who called, by which He has granted to us His precious faith from the corruption that is in the world. Every reason make effort to supplement knowledge with self-control, self-control with study. For if these qualities are yours and are increased, they keep you from being or unfruitful. And whoever lacks these qualities is having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former brothers. Be all the more diligent to confliction. For if you practice these qualities, you will never find it for you an entrance. Therefore, I intend, right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. Christ me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you do not follow cleverly devised myths when we make known to you the power and coming of our Lord 
Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his ministry. When he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born, I beloved Son, with we ourselves heard this very, have the prophetic word more well to pay attention to the place until the knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of God, but men spoke from God as they were carried away. Make you want to read too? There was also false prophets among the people's teachers, Lord, who bought them in destruction. Many will follow their destructive ways, covetousness they will exploit you with deception. For a long time their judgment idle, destruction does not God did not spare the hell and deliver darkness, did not spare the righteousness, bring blood on the world of the ungodly, and Adam and Gomorrah and ashes. Condemn them to destruct temple to those who afterwards would ungodly and righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of righteous man, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day, awful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation, and to unjust under, especially those who walk according to the flesh and the lust of uncleanliness and despise authority. They are presumptuous self-will. They are not afraid to speak far greater in power and might, not bring a reviling accusation against But these like unreasoning and captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong is the wages of doing wrong. Pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they browse with you. Having eyes full of adultery, they never see icing, unstable souls, heart training, greed. Taking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam and the sons of love, the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgressions, for a mute donkey speaking with the voice of a man, being the madness of the prophet. These are springs without water and mists driven by a storm, for whom the black darkness has been reserved. Out, out arrogant words of vanity, they entice by fleshly desires. By sensuality, those who barely escape from promising them freedom, while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome? By this. For if, after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and are overcome, the last state has become worse for them than For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn away from the holy commandment. It has happened to them according to the proverb. A dog returns to its own house after washing returns to This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you actions of the holy prophets and apostles Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desire. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, things are continuing of creation. For, for they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by, word, by the word of God. And that by means of the world then existed, was deluged with water, and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should, but that all should reach 
But the day of the Lord will come like it, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be in holiness and godliness? Waiting for the hastening, waiting and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of, of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. Therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to... Hmm. Shall we close the prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for the words of, uh, written here by Peter. Lord, I thank you just that we have that opportunity to come to you and be set free from our sins, just to a life of the joyous freedom of serving you. Thank you, Lord, that that same Holy Spirit that empowered Peter and gave him such bravery and love and compassion for these young members of this church, Lord, that same Holy Spirit flows in our hearts, and I pray that we would... Um, sin that's entangling us, if it's other things that are distracting us, Lord, that you give us the power to set those aside, that you would give us a fresh desire to serve you with our whole hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.